Good morning, Jundo. How are you today? Really good, but we got something we want to tell new listeners. Okay, go ahead. What is it? We don't like this podcast until about episode six. I mean, no, no, I, we like it, but you got to get to know us first. And then, so go listen from episode six to the end. And then when you know us and love us, and you will love us, come back to the beginning. Okay, great idea. Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Welcome back, Jundo. This is episode number three. How are you today? Love to see you, Kirk. I'm doing great. Okay, we've just been going through a half an hour of experiencing impermanence as we've tried to connect on Skype, and you've tried to get your headphone and microphone settings correct, and it can be kind of stressful, but it is a bit of a lesson, isn't it? Well, you know, the Buddha never had to worry about his headphones, and Dogen never had problems with his mic, but they had their own problems. You know, I'm thinking back in the old monastery when Dogen was reciting his his talks on the Shobogenzo, the guy in the back row with, had no sound system. How could he hear whatever, you know, was being taught? But these days, you know, we have microphones, we have, you know, this going out over the internet. These are 21st century problems, Kirk. Well, what is the sound like in Zen temples? I know that if you go to a stone church anywhere here in Europe, the sound is really quite excellent. You can be all the way at the back and you can hear everything. Well, you know, it's not what you hear, it's what you feel. That's the uh. real point. The master would talk, it's not the words, it's what's said between the words. So like that famous story of the Buddha holding up a flower. Exactly. Don't need a mic for that. No. Okay. Well, we've got lots of interesting questions. Uh, listeners have been writing in and sending us tons of emails and posting questions on the Tree Leaf Forum. Here's one that I have always found to be an interesting idea. Yeah. If over time you replace all the parts on your car, at what point is it no longer the same car? You know, this is, this is very similar to the hot dog and the sandwich question from last week. And your famous joke, make me one with everything, you know, with the hot dog cart. Yep. It's the same idea that the mind divides the world into pieces. And when we stop doing this, we become one with everything, you see. Now, everything is change. All composite things are changed, said the Buddha. And every cell in your body, every breath you take, I think that was Sting, not the Buddha who said that, but yeah. uh, all things are constantly changing. So you're not the same Kirk you were just a few minutes ago. And when will your body be so changed that you're no longer Kirk? Is it going to be when you die and we all return to the earth? Or is it going to be in a few years when every cell is different in you? This is the big question. I think I read that every cell in your body is regenerated roughly every seven years. So 
in seven years' time, all my cells will be completely different. Yet there is my essence that remains. Well, I don't know about the essence because Buddhists, we don't, we don't say there's an essence. We are a constant stream of change, of cause and effect. You're not the same Kirk that we started this netcast with just uh, a, a couple of minutes ago. You really? Know? Oh, no. All that might things be a are changing. But that's okay. Ah, that's okay. okay. Because our job as Zen folks is to allow the change, allow the impermanence. We don't care exactly when things begin. And we don't care exactly when things end. And we don't care that they're constantly changing because we just go with the flow, you know. So this idea dates back to the ancient Greeks and Heraclitus, who came up with this thought experiment that they called the ship of Theseus. Uh, the idea was that if the famous ship that the hero Theseus sailed on in a battle had been saved um, for people to remember his, his exploits, and over time the wood started to rot, they would replace one piece of wood and then another and another. And at what point would it still be the same ship? Well, you know, where did Kirk begin? And when will Kirk end? Is it at birth and in the grave? Or... Was it with the Big Bang? Was it with every breeze and every turn of this planet that led to you millions of years later? I say yes. We cannot clearly mark where the cause and effect that led to you began. And we cannot say exactly when the effects of your life will end. They will carry forward endlessly into the future. So there is no clear line in time where you begin and you're constantly changing all through your life and at death your effects will carry on into the future you see and also we can't say your body where it begins and ends literally the whole world pours into you too so for buddhists it's not so clear yeah but what about the car you're also the car <laughs> You know, no, don't don't laugh about that. We believe that the whole world is so connected to everything else that you are the bird in the tree outside that you are now hearing. You are the most distant star that contributes to this universe that leads to you. And you are your car. And every car on the highway, man. I know I'm sounding like a hippie here. You but are. This is this is basic Buddhist doctrine. All things are so connected that they all pour into you. I remember, uh, do you, uh, this is really going to date me, but there used to be a series in the, the 60s, My Mother the Car. Sure. You, know, yeah. you know, Mom gets reincarnated as a car. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. Last time we were speaking about coming back as cats, but I guess you can come back as a car. You could. And there was also Mr. Ed, the one with the talking horse. Exactly. Yeah. I remember all that. Great, great TV. Okay, so here's a question that you actually had. Someone once asked you if he could donate part of his proceeds from selling drugs in order to make it right, in order to sort of purchase a Buddhist dispensation. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think Buddhists do that dispensation thing, do they? Well, you had that great story you sent me about the fellow, it was in uh, Shambhala, wasn't it? Or Lion's Roar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what uh, was the story? A guy who was a poker player and won a huge amount of money, and he said he was going to donate it all to charity. Well, he was a serious Buddhist. Yes, poker a serious player. Buddhist and a serious poker player. And he won a lot. Yes, but 
these were not ill-gotten gains. Your question was someone who was selling drugs, and, and what you said in, in your comment to me is it was more than just marijuana. Right, yeah. Does doing a good deed counteract doing a bad deed? I mean, is is karma just a series of scales of, you know, good and bad on each side that weigh against each other? Well, okay, it's, uh, it's a little complicated question. The guy who was gambling in Vegas, you know, we should not gamble as Buddhists, but he took every penny he won and he donated it to a good cause. It, according to the article, he didn't keep anything for himself. But the fellow who approached me was not just selling pot. He was apparently selling a little harder. And he said, look, I wanna, I'm also a Buddhist. I'm a Buddhist drug pusher. I'd like to donate some of my proceeds to you, and that will clear my karma. And I said, well, no, not really. It's the heart that clears the karma, you see. You can't just take some of the money and give it to a good cause and, and feel that you're not doing harm. So his main occupation was still selling something that this was hard drugs. So he was har harming people. And I said, you can't still be out there harming people and just give a little of the profits and, and figure that you're wiping the slate clean. So we can't but, buy off one of the precepts that we violate. No, but on the other hand, it is a little sliding scale, and I'm going to explain to you why. Ask me why. Tell me why, Jundo. Okay. Today, as much as in the Buddha's day, the people who were practicing Buddhists were in professions in which you cannot be 100% clean. It's so hard in the world. You know, in the Buddha's day, his supporters were kings, and they had armies, and every once in a while they had to use force and violence. And he had agricultural landowners and rich people. And all of them were in professions where, I'm sure they were very good people, but you cannot be 100% clean. And these days, in this capitalist, interconnected world, we all have jobs where whatever we're doing, you know, it's going to have some effect. You could work for a very good company, but they're doing something it's going to impact pollution. Or you're working for a nice boss, but your company is doing some cheap labor in Asia. Someone's getting hurt, okay? No matter what you're doing in this world, nobody's 100% pure. In that case, all you can do is the best you can. Jundo, you were a lawyer. That's not a very honorable profession, is it? No, no. And actually, I had to turn down work. I got offered work, for example, from tobacco companies, and I turned them down. And I, now I'm a translator, I don't always know exactly the businesses that are using my translation, except I work for honorable lawyers, and I have to assume that they would not be engaged in dishonorable work. I don't work for uh, questionable business people, for example. But in this corporate world, a lot of the corporations that I might be working for, what are all their policies? So I'm going to give you the advice I gave to uh, one of the, the people at Treeleaf. He was a bus driver. And he said he's very concerned that his bus is making pollution. It's not the most ecologically sound bus, but he's just a bus driver. He has no influence with the company and he would get fired. What should he do? And here's what I told him. 
as a, a company employee, do the small things you can to maybe suggest to the company that it would be better for their image to have a cleaner bus. Put the suggestion in their ear. And in the meantime, as a bus driver, be kind to your passengers. Bring a little goodness into the world and do the best you can on the bus. He needs the job. You know, he can't quit the job to find another job. He's got kids, you know. So I didn't say to him, you know, oh, you got to quit that job and find another job. But in that job, do what you can to make this world a little bit better. And I'm afraid that in the Buddhist time, in Dogen's time, Dogen's big supporter was a samurai, you know. All he could do was whisper in the king's ear or whisper in the samurai's ear, try to make it a little bit better. And, you know, back to the bus driver, a bus driver is actually quite an important person who does a very good service for society. He takes people to their work who otherwise might have to walk. Um, he may take people to important doctor's appointments. People may meet on the bus that wouldn't have met otherwise. So in some ways, the good that he does far outweighs the pollution from the bus. You see, that's the difference from the drug smuggler. The drug yes. smuggler, maybe he's a cheerful drug smuggler who, who leaves people <laughs> feeling a little bit better, but his main occupation is still harming people by doing some bad thing. There are certain jobs, you know, you're, you're a hitman. You can't make it a kind of a, well, I'm 90% a hitman, but 10% I'm leaving the world a little better. It doesn't work that way. But most of us in our work, even if it's not perfect, we can try to make things a little bit better and also the people we come in contact with, we can deal with them and make their lives a little brighter. That's what we can do. And it was the same in the Buddha's day. And it's the same now. Okay, so since we started this podcast, in fact, even before we started this podcast, one of the yeah. things that you were worried about is that people might be shocked by what you say on the podcast, because you do have, let's say, a sort of irreverent approach to many things. Yeah, I think uh, the first the first episode, what did I say? The 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 uh, Buddha, there were no golden lights coming out of his head and he was just a guy. And yeah. I got people write me back about that. You know, they don't like to hear it. And and we you also explained that you could call the Buddha a she and that was quite controversial. Right. So are you worried that people are just not going to listen because of you saying things like that? You know, this is the Zen teacher's job and it always has been. There was a fellow named Yumen many centuries ago who was asked, what is the Buddha? And he said, the Buddha is a dried shit stick. Can we say shit? On, it's a podcast. We're we not, can. We're not on radio. Right. All right. And Rinzai, Master Rinzai, said the sutras are just pieces of paper to clean up old blood on the floor. You know, they said all these shocking things. But what was their purpose? Their purpose was not to degrade the Buddha, not to say that these teachings are not wondrous, quite the opposite. They were to say, get over your image of what wondrous is supposed to look like. Everything in this world is Buddha. Everything in this world is wondrous if your heart is pure, you know. So he was saying, don't treat the Buddha like shit. Rem Realize that if your eyes are open, the shit, the fertilizer that makes the flowers grow is sacred, you see. We had an email exchange um, over the weekend. I was reading a book of poetry by Ikkyu, and Ikkyu was one of these Zen masters who eventually left the temple and would spend a lot of time 
going to bars and frequenting prostitutes. And that's that's different. <laughs> why is that different? Well, you know, it's okay to, to drink a little. I told you, Japanese priests, they, they get married, they drink a little. EQ, let's face it, was a dirty old man and a, <laughs> and a bit of a drunk. And we kind of herald this and we say how wonderful it is. And he was a great Zen teacher. But on the other hand, I think, you know, he, he was kind of a wild guy. So I'm not sure about that we're looking at EQ quite the right way. <laughs> So I want to get back to the irreverence because I'm going to say some things that are irreverent here. And I think it's important because you got to shake people up in Zen. There are people who need to walk into a Buddhist temple and see a golden statue. And they need to have an image in their hearts of a Buddha who is perfect and light is emanating from him because for that person, they need that ideal image. And I salute that person. And I'm not one to say that everyone has to not be worshipful of their Jesus or their Buddha if that's what they need. But for some of us, it's important to shake people up. If you get too reverential, I say, remember that Buddha is the stone outside and the trash can and the old rusty can by the side of the road. Everything is Buddha, if you can see it. You don't have to put Buddha up on a pedestal, you know. So it's important to shake. Now, it's going to scare some people away from the podcast. I also think it's actually going to attract some people because some people like to tune in just to hear a car wreck. <laughs> yeah, the, the Rush Limbaugh effect. Yeah, people don't know who Rush Limbaugh is, but Rush Limbaugh in America is this very conservative uh, radio host. And a lot of liberals tune in because Rush really annoys them, you know, with his opinions. They, they tune into Rush and build up his ratings just because Rush makes them mad. Well, I don't intend to do that. That is not my purpose here. But I don't think you're going to make anyone mad. There will be people who disagree with you, but I don't think anything you say will get people literally angry. At least I well, hope that's not. not my track record in the past, because when I've done some things, like I <laughs> said, I'm skeptical about rebirth or yeah, that the Buddha true. to me, you know, was not uh, anything more than, you know, a, a human being it, that his image got blown. When I say these things, it really does upset some people. But I think it's good because some other people need to hear that. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, and there, and there was a thread on the Tree Leaf Forum recently talking about uh, so-called original Buddhism, and we look at the Pali Canon, but we know that there are older manuscripts, and even if you, you pick one period, like the Pali Canon, as being yeah. the sort of original Buddhism, when Buddhism went to China, it mixed with Taoism, and yeah. when it got to Japan, it took its Taoist influences and mixed with Shintoism, so none of these things are pure in any way. And as you said in previous episodes, the, the Buddhist sutras were written hundreds of years after the Buddha died anyway. Yeah, but they're all pure in a sense if they resonate with somebody and help them. They're all the word of the Buddha if they're a wisdom that helps someone on the past. For example, uh, the airplane, you know, the Wright brothers invented the first airplane, and now we, we fly a 777, right? Does that mean we have to go back to the Wright Brothers version of the true plane? Well, 
No. There are all kinds of good planes. Some people like, you know, little propeller planes and some people like big jets. They all get different people to where they're going. And if the vehicle is good, if the vehicle helps someone get where they need to go, it doesn't matter if it's the original vehicle or something that came later. You know, so later Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism and Zen basically developed centuries after the Buddha. Zen developed in China. Then it had a Japanese influence. It's not exactly what the original Buddha taught, but it's a beautiful path if it helps someone realize the truth. And also, we have to factor in the experience of people who practiced Buddhism and taught Buddhism over the centuries. And why would we throw away what they've learned about it just because it's not the original pure version? Sure, something that came later can actually... Now, this is another thing that gets me in trouble with Buddhists. They go, no, 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 you can't say the, there was an improvement on the Buddha. I'm going to say it. The Buddha's original formulation, well, I don't want to say improved. It was changed for different situations. But in some ways, maybe it was improved. And some of the improvements we're making in the West that are very controversial are also good, I think. For example, we talked about how women didn't really have a place in Buddhism. As a matter of fact, you talked about the Lotus Sutra, and there was a story in the Lotus Sutra that I should have mentioned where there was a princess, and in order to become the Buddha, she was a, she was a woman, she was a little girl, and to become the Buddha, she first had to become a man, and after she became a man, then she could be, become the Buddha. Now in the West, we don't even think about this issue. Man, woman, you can be a teacher, you can be a student, and you can have equal chance to become the Buddha. We also have brought these teachings out from the monastery. We talked about that last time. And, and in the West, we're more for practice at home and lay people and, and listening on the internet and practicing where you are. This is a big improvement, you know. So I think, uh, yeah, we're actually doing something better in some ways than it's been done for 2,500 years. Yeah, because if the Buddha didn't have a podcast, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have a podcast to talk about Zen Buddhism. That's right. That's right. And I actually think some of the teachings, too, have evolved, and they are in some ways richer than the original formulations. And that gets me in trouble for saying that. Okay, before we close, I just want to discuss a book that is being read by a number of people in the Tree Leaf Forum. It yeah. is called Zen, The Art of Simple Living by Shunmyo Masuno, who yeah. is a Buddhist, uh, he runs a Buddhist temple, he designs uh, Japanese gardens. This is a fascinating little book. I generally avoid these things with 100 steps to change your life. Um, but I found this really interesting, looking at, and, and I've only gone through to number 31, in, in the reading group, I think we're only up to six or eight, because you do like, two a week. And, and that's a good idea to, to take time and reflect on these things. But it's true that some of these little things you can do can make a big difference. Well, in the book, uh, he each page is very short. And uh, there are certain practices to do that are actually very traditional practices and very simple. They take a minute. And we're doing them in the tree leaf form. And I'll give you a couple of examples. They're just beautiful. Take something in your house that you're a little attached to, not the closet you want to empty out that you don't. I mean, something you really kind of love and you don't want to give it away and give it away to someone who could really use it and feel the pain in your heart as you do this. 
it's a very good, simple lesson in being attached to things. You know, we're all going to go out of this world naked someday. We're not going to take it with us. So now is a good practice in letting go. And another one he, he talks about is, is uh, for example, just plant a seed and just really watch it grow. Really watch it just every few minutes. It's a good chance to see the change we were talking about as, uh, you know, things are constantly changing. Well, really watch it by looking at that seed. These little practices are beautiful. Yeah, there's one that I had a little bit of a problem with early in the book. He says that you should take off your shoes and then line them up. And since I tend to be slightly OCD, I generally line up my shoes when I take them off. So you said to me in the forum, well, put them out down without lining them up. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. See yeah. what happens. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's easy to do because I don't see them. I put them down and I don't see them. But it's true that I have this habit of things like that just kind of have to line up because it's not, you know, it's I just think I just have this weird thing about things like it, that. You know, it's actually an excellent lesson in being respectful of the things we take for granted. So many things every day, the pen you're using, the microphone I'm speaking into now. Let me bow to this microphone. Thank you, microphone. The slippers, we kind of kick them off. In this case, when you go into a Zen temple in Japan to sit Zazen, one of the most important aspects is how you place your slippers. It's as important as any other aspect of the practice. You're being mindful and respectful and you place the slippers properly. But you, you said you got, you know, OCD and a couple of people wrote me and I said, well, in that case, you mess up the slippers a little and then bow. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, Jundo, this is the end of episode three. I want to thank you. Um, as always, listeners, subscribe in iTunes or on your favorite podcast app or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends, um, tell your friends to listen, even if you don't agree with what Jundo says on the podcast. No, Until... everyone agrees. Okay. So, Jundo, where do we go next? I have no idea. 